what I hope the other side looks like is people understanding that this whole entire situation had an effect on an entire generation of young people, right? And I hope they work with them to get them help to understand it so that our kids that are six, seven, and eight right now or five in 10 or 12 years don't have multiple comorbid anxiety issues. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, host of the Sheepdog's Mind podcast, former US Air Force law enforcement specialist, canine handler, police officer, and now a limited licensed professional counselor specializing in post traumatic stress, talks to me about helping first responders, anxiety, plexiglass, and how the injuries of trauma can sometimes come to the surface years after the trauma itself. Here's Todd Cook. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Todd Cook, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Toby. Great. So tell me about your background. Tell me about your background in US law enforcement and now the fact that you're counseling. So I started out in the military. Uh, basically, I ran out of money going to college and <laughs> joined the service. And I uh, was a dog handler for four years in the U.S. Air Force, got out, became a uh, police officer in Michigan, where I continued working with uh, canine units. I was doing that for on and off for about 18 years and decided to become a counselor at the end of the day. So a couple of different career paths and voila, here I am. Got it. Yeah, right. So yeah, that's why. So I've seen a ton of yeah, different bits of your bio and I'm like, man, he's done all of that stuff. So tell me about, you're, you're in Michigan right now? Yes, I'm in Michigan. Tell me about your experience since the pandemics kicked off in Michigan. What's been your experience on a local level so far? It's been interesting. On a local level, people seem to be taking the pandemic seriously, at least in the town I live in. Other places... I think it took a while longer for it to become more of a serious issue. And those are the hot spots I think that we're seeing in the state now. Some of the bigger cities where, like, say, Detroit, Flint, Pontiac wasn't taken as seriously, I think. And those are the hot spots now where we see patients being transferred from those locations to other hospitals. Yeah, we've seen um, just in the last 24 hours, uh, Kate, who runs podcast network solutions with me her mother having to go into hospital in chelsea and and wondering um if she's going to come out with covid wondering if she went in with it wondering if she's going to come out with it and and happily uh she she neither went in with it or came out with it which is excellent but it it sounds like 
you, know, you have a nice corner of Michigan to be fairly safe in and that people are taking it seriously and, and distancing appropriately. Right. Yeah, they, they definitely are. You've had some incredible conversations. I was just listening to a recent episode of The Sheepdog's Mind, your podcast with uh, an anonymous frontline ICU nurse. And that's that's just one episode of the podcast that you have. But I'm very interested to hear what you took away from that conversation with with that nurse. Right. The conversation was really interesting. And I think she was able to shed some light on some issues that I think a lot of us had questions about. One being, why are nurses being laid off in certain hospitals and not being taken in to hospitals that are high in COVID patients and ICUs? So she was able to shed some light on some of that. And also on some of the medication questions that I had. And it was interesting because right after we had the conversation where she talked about some issues with clotting and some of the medications and what they were seeing with COVID and clotting in the lungs, the very next day, CNN came out with an article talking about that very issue and the medications. So those things, and I think also the other thing I came away with was even though the nursing hospital environment is rigid for the most part, they were able to be pretty flexible in their response. And and fortunately in mid the mid part of the U S we had the advantage of already seeing New York get hit and California get hit. So they were able to plan a little bit better in regards to staffing, setting up wings of hospitals for, for COVID patients and setting schedules and, and how they were going to handle some of those bigger issues that were coming along that they they could see coming, like a wave coming across the ocean. Yeah, which is exactly the same here in the UK because we've been so closely watching Italy and, and seeing how they've been dealing with it. In the last couple of days now, we're seeing that all the panic about having enough ventilators, having enough hospital beds is actually, now we do have way enough capacity, but there was a there was an initial shock in the London area that really maxed stuff out. But now we're seeing we're seeing a lot of space, which is great. Of course, we're seeing uh, frontline workers, doctors, nurses dying too. So um, right. still got to be really careful. It's it's not kind of by any means out of the woods and we're still all locked up. So has your work changed since this has happened? Has the nature of your work, has the tone of your work changed since this has happened? Yeah, it has. So as a counselor, we're, we right now can't see people face to face. So we're having to counsel online and they've, they've loosened some of the restrictions for that and allowed us to use some platforms that we might not have been able to use before. So it's been interesting. It's, I think for all of us that are doing it for the first time, telehealth, teletherapy, it's a little awkward and a little uncomfortable, but I think it's still better than nothing. I mean, I'd still rather see people face to face, but I think we're doing the best we can with the the situation that we've been put in for sure. What are the specific therapies that that you help people with? Do you, do, do you go down any specific routes or do you use a, a whole wide uh, range of techniques to, to work with people? Yeah, pretty eclectic. We use a, I use a whole wide range of techniques, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. I'm an EMDR therapist, so I do eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for trauma. But I'm also a big fan of Viktor Frankl, if you know who Viktor Frankl is, and and logotherapy, finding meaning in things. 
so yeah, pretty broad range of, of therapies depending on what the person needs. But I see, and I think most of the counselors around me see a wide range of things from trauma to anxiety to depression to process addictions and those kind of things. Yeah, right. And are there any specific therapies that work better over a video call um, than, than others or, or, or opposite, if you like? That's a tough one. I, I couldn't tell you because I've only been doing the video calls for a month now. So, but I think it's, I think they all work. I think it's more difficult to do some than others. For instance, yeah. EMDR, I, I think is more difficult to do over video than it is in person because there's a lot of biological things I need to be aware of in my client when they're when they're processing a trauma and it's it's easier to do that in person than on a video yeah could you tell me a bit more about that that specific technique sure so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing francine shapiro came up with it back in the late 70s and it was a technique designed for reprocessing trauma basically and it was used pretty extensively with Vietnam veterans. It doesn't matter how old the trauma is, but it can be reprocessed by using this technique. And what we've discovered is you don't have to use the eye movement. You can use a form of bilateral stimulation to affect the same parts of the brain to make them function this way. And what happens when we're in trauma or we, well, let's start there. When we're in trauma, our brain kind of goes into the lower portions of the brain to work. It goes into the amygdala and the fight or flight portions of our brains. And the upper portion of our brain, the upper cortex, kind of goes offline because we don't really need to think and do math or do artwork when we're being chased by a bear, right? We just need to run or fight. So that upper part of the brain kind of goes offline when we're in a trauma. And sometimes it doesn't get processed correctly and people struggle with that. It causes flashbacks or triggers that cause flashbacks or lots of different issues. But what the bilateral stimulation does, or the EMDR does, we think, because we're not completely sure, it's kind of like there's a, a whole host of medications that we don't know exactly what they're doing inside the brain. EMDR is kind of like that. What we think happens is the upper cortex, we activate the trauma again. So Toby, say you had something bad happen a long time ago. I want you to think about that in a physiological way and make your body even feel it again, right? So we activate that. And then under bilateral stimulation, the top parts of the brain, we keep those in play. So you get to see it again from a different perspective and process it with the thinking parts of your brain intact. And using that technique, it's really, really effective to make that trauma not be as harsh for you moving forward. You, you'll, you won't forget that this the bad thing happened to you, but you'll be able to think about it and not break down. You'll be able to talk about it and not have a breakdown about it. So it, it's really, really effective in resolving some of those traumatic memories that our brain and our bodies remember. That's very interesting. I kind of hear different different styles of therapy, different techniques, and and uh, so many acronyms as well. It's it's really interesting to find out more from people. Tell me about this particular situation, this crisis. Are you seeing a way through it for us? And what what do you think it looks like on the other side? Do you think people are going to behave differently? Yeah, I think 
Well, from the from a counseling point of view, I was talking to one of my fellow counselors about we're really curious to see how many folks come out of this with really bad anxiety slash OCD issues um, down the road. Um, I see a lot of the frontline workers that we're seeing a year or so from now having some post-traumatic stress issues. Um, but I think the anxiety level for some people is going to be really high and trying to calm that and tame that is, is going to be super important for us. So are you seeing that already or do you think we're, we're still like right in it? Are you, are you used to dealing with say healthcare professionals on a daily basis anyway? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I, I don't think we're in it yet. I think that they're still too busy dealing with the crisis. So I think if you think about it in terms of, say, a firefighter, when they're in the middle of fighting a fire or a a fire that takes days to put out, they're not in any position at that point to seek counseling. It's after the fact and after they recovered that hopefully then they'll go in. They'll go in and, and be able to talk to somebody about all the things that they've just experienced. In the middle of it, it's hard for them to stop, take a break, and do the processing that they need to do. There's some things I put a thing on my podcast about what to do immediately following an event that happened, a really bad event for them. And there's some, there's some things that they can do right away. During 9-11 and what we've seen in other trauma incidents with first responders is generally it's not right away that people have an issue. It's further down the line, sometimes a year from them or two years from then, when the incident actually occurred, the people really start to struggle with post-traumatic stress issues. It's not generally right away. So what I see coming down the line is going to be um, a lot of these folks that are dealing with this COVID pandemic um, having issues two years from now. Yeah, right. And is there any way for you to prepare for that i mean it's a very strange question around the ethics of marketing at the moment and people that can help doing various things clearly you're right in a situation where you know that there's going to be a need for your services in the future um possibly and almost almost certainly more than there is today because people are experiencing more trauma today than they have done in you know a decade or so right so um and, and this is perhaps perhaps more traumatic and more widespread than than 911 was um yeah depending I on think... where you are of course so so what what does that look like because you don't want to seem opportunistic but you also want to let people know you're around right well i think that's that's part of it is i and i think moving forward we're going to need more counselors that are that are trauma informed counselors that understand, um, because all of us have specialties, right? And trauma happens to be my specialty um, because I lived it. I mean, if people go on the podcast, they'll see that I'm no stranger to trauma. So I understand it better than a lot of other people do. And I'm constantly working on my skills to make it more effective so that I can help people heal quicker and faster. I mean, it's kind of funny. I'm in one of those businesses where my goal is to get them out of here as fast as I can, as healthy as I can. Um, But it's a constant 
constant training and bringing myself up to speed on what's happening and just being available when they need me. Um, I think that's the biggest thing because everybody kind of does this trauma healing work on their own time and their own schedule. Um, I can think of a lot of people in my life that have had really horrible things happen to them as kids or as younger adults and just now are coming to terms with what happened and trying to heal from it. So healing from any trauma, Toby, is really a journey of personal experience for that person. Yeah, I think just for me, it's super helpful to understand and hear from a professional like you that this stuff can take a couple of years to come out and that some people perhaps may feel like they've escaped unscathed when in fact you know they might they may have some um evidence and that trauma might come out in a couple of couple of years or or further into the future than they'd imagine and just just to know that is is good value right because you're not then maybe as surprised as you might be when something triggers you. And I imagine, is it a trigger? Is it a specific trigger normally that happens? Well, it can be a couple of things. Um, there's, there's a list of uh, symptoms that go with post-traumatic stress disorder, or what I'd rather call it as a post-traumatic stress injury. But um, yeah, two years from now, one of these people might just all of a sudden have a short fuse and they don't understand why when something happens, they fly off the handle or they get really anxious about certain things or when they see something and it reminds them of a situation and they kind of spiral out of control or they, they're, they're, they can't control their thoughts or their thoughts kind of roll and they can't stop them. Um, all of those things, feelings of being inadequate, um, feelings of not being able to perform, um, we see in a lot of veterans that have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I see it in a lot of police officers that they just feel um, like they can't do anything right. Like everything they do is wrong. Even though we know that that's not true, it feels that way for them. And it's because their amygdala, which is also part of the emotional centers of our brain are damaged from the chemicals our brain keeps producing over and over. So a lot of those kind of things, and you're right, triggers sometimes can be a thing. And a trigger can be a thought. It can be a smell. It can be a sight. Honestly, it can be anything. I've even seen people be triggered by the temperature outside or the color of a blue sky. Um, so, yeah, the, our bodies, there, there was a really good book written called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. I'll be Googling it and putting it up on the uh, on the show notes. but that's. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I've heard of that bit. It's really important to understand that we might not consciously remember the things that happened during an event or, or something that occurred, but all of a sudden our body remembers it, right? Our amygdala picked it up and put it in our cortex somewhere. We don't realize it's there. And all of a sudden you smell something and you're like, boom, you're right back to that situation, whatever it happens yeah. to be. Yeah, super interesting and helpful. I'm going to find The Body Keeps the Score and link it in the show notes too. Tell me, I've been asking this question and we've, we've kind of gone there a little bit, so I'm going to just rephrase it because I'm really interested to know your thoughts as someone who's been on the front line for a long time. 
the question that I have been asking is, you know, what do you think the other side looks like? And really, the 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 answer I've been getting from various people that I've spoken with is what they hope the other side looks like. What what humans, what the people uh, in the world are, how their behaviours are going to change because of this pandemic. Um, people who are forty years old. A lot of them weren't even working when 9-11 happened. So they didn't have any kind of major world event as a reference uh, beyond kind of maybe remembering it. But, but there's not, not too many people um, younger than 40 who have ever experienced anything close to such a huge world event. So from your standpoint, from someone who's seen some real trauma in their lives, what do you hope the other side of this looks like? Who? Well, what I hope the other side looks like is people understanding that this whole entire situation had an effect on an entire generation of young people, right? And I hope they work with them to get them help to understand it so that our kids that are six, seven, and eight right now or five in 10 or 12 years don't have multiple comorbid anxiety issues. That's what my hope is. I think as adults, we can rationally understand what's going on in a way that younger people cannot because of the way our brains are developed. And what I see happening is a whole generation of young people that are being told, you know, don't touch that person, don't go too close, and creating anxiety that is going to have to be dealt with at some point. Um, especially in some of these kids already have some issues with anxiety, right? So you throw this on top of it. And I see we're going to have a whole generation that's going to look at things a little bit differently. And I hope we can find a way to normalize life for them in some way. Yeah, you're really speaking to my situation. I've got a three-year-old who I kind of seems to be just kind of being a three-year-old and cute and, you know, not, not really, not really showing any any signs of, of of stress about being at home. But I have a six year old, and my six year old is is kind of an anxious little guy, anyway. You know, um, and today, uh, my wife's parents came over. We we did a grocery shop online. They couldn't get some stuff anyway. They they came to pick it up. So so I've got the bags and put it at the end of the driveway, and we opened the gate and. And that literally happened. You know, they were there. They wanted to show their their grandparents the the toys that they were working on. And me and my wife were stood at the gate. You know, and occasionally, when the three year old would run out, we would have to physically stop him. Whereas the six year old, who's already quite shy uh, and and relatively anxious uh, as a character, what uh, was you know was just kind of quietly there. And I, I wonder you know from someone who who knows about this stuff you know i'm experiencing it and i've i'm a parent of someone who i'm very conscious of is is very anxious anyway so are there things that i can be doing to prevent that trauma or is that just something that's going to happen and we're going to have to work out later when he's a teenager or i think the most important thing is to have them talk about it right we know that talking and the connection with another person is really important. So for all the parents out there that are experiencing the things that you are, with a child that's old enough to have a voice like that, 
the three-year-old obviously is going to be different, right? But a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, have them talk about how they feel, right? And maybe reassure them that it's not always going to be like this. And that can be hard for some parents, especially when we don't really know what's going to happen, right? It can be really difficult. But I think it's so important to have the kids talk about how they feel. And they can do that through play. They can do it through actual verbalization. And then mostly just listen to what they have to say. One of the best words of advice I got as a counselor from an older counselor was just shut up and listen. (laughs) And it's really, really true, especially with parents and kids. And at all ages, I had a a similar situation with a, a parent that I happen to know whose child was a veteran of uh, the Iraq Afghanistan wars and he was struggling and he asked me for some advice and I said just sit there and shut up and just let him talk probably the best advice I could have given him yeah well certainly trying to find ways of of talking I've got this book in my hands um that you might know called um called dibs in search of self do you know that book yeah and it's a really well thumbed copy that I read when I was in college. Someone gave it to me, and yeah, it's one of those books. I never got into therapy. I ended up getting into music and and stuff, but but um, it changed my life, changed my changed my view on on my own childhood and kids and and all sorts. So I'll, I'll put a link into that as well. Is that something that seems to be like a an old old text, like? In the forties, it came out. Yeah, I think it is an older one. Yeah, but it reminds me a lot of um, Victor Frankl's stuff because he wrote, you know, after World War II, he was a, a he was actually a psychologist that trained under Freud and was put into concentration camps. And A Man's Search for Meaning has been a bestseller for years and years. Um, but yeah, some of that older stuff. It's really interesting. We we do kind of forget what's really important, and we reinvent it. I think sometimes. Yeah, it's great. It's just it's so great to to listen to listen to your point of view. I've I found doing this whole whole show, um, going through this whole podcast, so helpful to listen to people's perspectives and people who live all around the globe, especially people who've been been through stuff. You know, um, what are you going to be doing? in in your in your business life to to set yourself up for this are you are you thinking about the way you present yourself in a post covid world or a you know th- throughout covid are you, are you are you positioning to make sure that people know you're around because clearly what you're doing is is needed yeah it's funny that you say that because i've the nurse that i interviewed the covid nurse I asked her to help me figure out how I can make my office feel safer for clients so we can see face to face. And it's funny because I said, I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is put up some kind of plexiglass wall that one person can be behind and I can be on the other side, kind of like a a priest confessional, right? (laughs) Where we can actually see each other, but not, you know, not breathe on each other, but trying to figure those things out to make people feel safe in the environment that I've created for my office, I think is just, it's a, it's going to be a hugely important issue for all the counselors moving forward to be able to bring them into the office, have a conversation 
and have them feel. Yeah. And I think that's a huge, I, I feel like what we're all waiting for from our respective governments are some official guidelines on what needs to be in place as, as they reopen the shops and, you know, single shoppers only, all sorts of stuff being spoken about here and there. And I guess it would be great if someone came out with some guidelines to say you need, you know, a plexiglass screen that is this big and this high and you can work out if you can get it in so you can just kind of get to work really right yeah i guess it'll come um but but we need to um we need to ask for it at the same time especially the smaller businesses because they seem to be concentrating on understandably you know the large supermarkets and stuff like that but right right yeah yeah, that that would be interesting to see how that plays out, and what you do is going to be so so much more effective, and will continue to be so much more effective in person. Yeah, it really is, Toby. And I'm my, I'm taking the stance of I'm going to figure out a way to make it safe for somebody that's super vulnerable, and I'll probably overkill the situation, but that's okay. If if I'm setting the standard, then I'll set the standard. You know, whatever that takes. Yeah. Yeah, that's another another thing that's come up and that, that that speaks to in the conversations I've had with people who are, are in business is that now is the time to lead right. and, and that we're talking, you know, we're looking to our leaders in government sometimes with um, absolute disgust and sometimes with uh, awe, depending on what country you live in, depending on what, what your politics are. But that's not the point. The point is that the people are in a position to to lead or not. And when you're an expert in something, then you get to lead, you get to lead your company, you get to lead your business in a certain way. So I think that's a that's a great outlook is to say that I'm gonna make it, you know, maybe oh maybe overkill on the plexiglass. But that would definitely serve to help people who have anxiety issues, right? They'll just see that you are prepared for them and part of that will get them into the state where you can help them i hope right that's what i'm hoping too toby yeah man that's just so great just to just to finish off then just one question and and let's i guess we'll make it positive what what's impressed you uh, or surprised you or a combination of both since this has all happened certain behaviors around the world or locally oh wow what surprised me has been the the politicization, the politics involved in this mess, right? How people have become so polarized, even more than they were politically on one end of the spectrum or the other. But then inside of that, generally when you get, even 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 when that happens, if you can get face-to-face with a person or six feet away and actually have a conversation you really are on the same side, right? We want to keep people safe, but we need the economy to go. We want to work, but we want to do it in a safe way. And, and how, do we, how do we do that? And when we actually have a conversation, most of the time we're in the same, we're in the same field, right? We're, we're on the same soccer field, maybe just at different ends, but we're in the same park. And I think that's where we need to start the conversation is, is being in that same place where this is what we need to do. We want, we all want the same end goal. How do we get there? And how do we get there safely? I think that's what surprised me is how, how politically opposite we can be, but we still can come together and agree we need to fix this. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about, uh, has there been anything positive? Have you seen any actions we've seen? people putting things in windows and trying to oh man yeah. trying to trying to build the community spirit and stuff like that has there been anything specific where you yeah we're seeing all kinds of things here um everything from 
the local fire department goes around and they're parking out in front of kids' houses when it's their birthday and saying happy birthday to them and um, people making masks and volunteering their time and making gowns and dropping off food to other people. And uh, we have restaurants that are dropping off food that's paid for by other people to hospitals all kinds of stepping up, right? All kinds of ways that people are stepping up. It's funny because I just did a, an interview on a Johannesburg radio station in South Africa and their police there are, are struggling. Um, and they asked me, what, what should their police officers do? Some of them aren't being paid. They haven't been paid for a month. They're being told they need to pay for their own personal protection equipment. And I just said, ask the people, right? Ask the people for help. And sometimes it's hard for people to do that. But people in our community want to help. They want to step up and really help other people out. And I think that's the thing that's hard for some people to do, especially for first responders, because they're the ones always taking care of everybody else, right? So reach out and just say, hey, you know, community, we need some help. And they'll step up. They will step up and help. And I've seen a ton of that. And it's been it's been really uplifting to see yeah. it. Yeah, we've we've seen that too here. We've seen various things, and that sounds that sounds great. It's something that really impressed me today, and and I just want to say this before I forget because I think it's incredible. Uh, we're reading news that Italy are just coming out of lockdown now, and as we said earlier, UK certainly are looking at Italy because we're we're quite close to them. And the government came out today with a thing where they're not letting anyone sell face masks for any more than fifty cents each. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I was like, oh, that's great because I'm sure I've paid like 20 bucks or something for three <laughs> to come in the post at some point in the next three weeks. So that's that fun. kind of legislation is is very cool, you know, because it means that everyone can be protected. Right. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So, Todd, tell me, tell, tell, tell me where I can find you. Tell, tell me where people can find you and connect with you if they'd like your help. Uh, the best way is through the podcast, uh, The Sheepdog's Mind. You can contact me through The Sheepdog's Mind, also at Renew Hope Counseling or Todd Cook Counseling, LLC. Hmm. But The Sheepdog's Mind is has got some ways to connect with me on there. Great. It's a great podcast. I'm really glad you're doing it. And thank you so much for your time, Todd. I really appreciate it. Sorry about the uh, internet outage halfway through. Oh, it's okay. Thanks for having me, Toby. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan, with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cast 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar if you're feeling pod curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com.